0: A phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll.
1: Hey guys, so welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Matteo Rizzi. I'm the executive producer of the show. Today is show 14140. One I'm here with a very Dear old uh, friend and a new friend uh, in uh, that I've met in a recent conversation. Today we talk about uh, a delicate uh, and a very modern topic, uh, which is uh, company culture in general, but also with some concrete cases, hopefully. So there is someone in this call whom I've worked with for over 13 years uh, at Swift. Uh, and he's a good friend for, Mela, 20 more years, actually. I actually thought you were, you know, uh, you were at Breaking Banks <laughs> already a few times, but it must be in one of the numerous conversations you and I organized together. Mariela Atanasova, my dear friend, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Please introduce yourself in a couple of minutes.
0: Thank you, Matt. And it's uh, an absolute pleasure. And as, as, as I said, you know, shame on you that you didn't invite me before. Um, as you know, this kind of conversations are always fantastic. Um, very quickly about myself, as Matteo said, we did work together at Swift a long time ago. We did attempt culture change there as well. Some bit successful, some not so. Um, as, our, as innovators and as rebels in the organization. Um, I am a professional facilitator, and as a facilitator, a lot of the things I do is try to change how people work together. And that inevitably puts me sometimes in positions where culture becomes a challenge. So I'll leave it at that and leave some space for Betty.
1: Thank you, Madam. And um, Betty, Betty and Sinalis, uh, you and I sort of cross each other as often, uh, you know. Uh, happens uh, through LinkedIn and, and social media. And then I got more and more interested in in, in your work. You have uh, Then you and I had a conversation. And after the conversation, I said, mm, this is like uh, guest material for uh, Breaking Banks. And here you are. Betty, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe.
2: Thank you very much, Matteo, for having me this morning. Very excited to talk about culture, uh, a topic that I have been through difficulties and love. And through my own personal journey, I am a talent acquisition specialist, a recruiter, headhunter, working investment banking for over seven years and have worked in financial services for over 15 years. Um, Retaining talent, attracting talent and really trying to create good cultures and combining uh, good people to good places to work. Um, So this is what I love. And this is this is just a brief of me.
1: Great. So actually, let's start uh, a little bit from uh, the basics. Okay. So I would like to know, and, you know, starting with Mela, since when, uh, you know, talk, uh, in storing, uh, a good culture in a company sounds like common sense, right? Right now. And, and it should be common sense uh, since, uh, you know, the inception of business, right? But that might not be the case. And it doesn't seem like uh, talking about, uh, uh, you know culture in a company or culture associated to business is something that is uh, you know super old in terms of uh, an argument or a topic uh, that we talk about so since when why and what is inside this uh, big uh, this culture with the big c uh, sort of uh, domain mela um
0: so i guess you know culture has always been part of making a business. It's just, we didn't call it that way. So everybody who has started a business always has thought about what do I want my business to be like? And that's basically the beginnings of defining a culture. Um, what has made the topic a little bit more prominent, probably in recent years and recent is the next, the last 10 years, probably is the fact that most of our organizations are going through some sort of, um, transition that requires a change of what we may have considered is the way we wanted our businesses to be and the way they need to be. So there is a friction that has made this conversation a little bit more prominent. And what you're seeing, not so much that culture has become a topic, but the purposeful design of social things in other systems has become more understood as an important element. And I would say, actually, it's still very early ages in business, and I don't think many organizations really understand how important it is to be purposeful about it, to really think about how and what kind of culture do they design and for what reason. Um, It still kind of happens, and then there comes a moment when it doesn't quite work and you have to change it. So I think culture change probably is more of a topic than culture itself nowadays.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Mela. I, I think that is in the last 10 years, probably, is where we start hearing about what's culture and why it's so important. And the reason probably behind is because we're changing. The generation changed. The baby boomers and the X-generations, where I belong, by the way, we, we used to try to find a job and just... Just get the job, no matter if you connect with the company or no matter if you really love or the why of the company or the values or anything else, you just want to get your pay. And, and that was a culture, like that was a culture back in the day where you just work for the money, you finish work, you get out. And we never have as employees a world where we could have our opinions or we could uh, maybe change uh, jobs easily. In the last couple of years with the millennials culture, these, these are the people that revolution like literally is a revolution, this, this new way of work. Because now they think that the most important thing is not the money, but the purpose and not just the perks, but what can we how can we change the world? And now the opportunities are becoming massively uh, for like have increased immensely. So obviously people now not only work for just a paycheck, but actually work for a purpose. And, and that's the change. And that's why this becomes so important these days. And that's what we're talking about it. And that's, as you said, Mela, the most important is that we're talking about it. But most companies, and we're still having 70% of people that is unhappy at work, is because most companies talk about culture, but they're not really building a culture.
1: How do you, like, uh, actually, this is a question that, uh, you know, we didn't talk before, but uh, it, it was triggered by something that Mela and Betty just, just said. How do you figure out that uh, there is a problem in a company? You know, because one typically is when... Uh, when you have a like a, a mix of uh, all the new col- you know culture or all the new type of employees or you know the, I, when uh, when you were talking uh, Betty I indeed I am the oldest in this course so I can talk uh, like the you know old guy talking about old times and uh, it is true that especially in Italy you know in some of the more traditional uh, working environments uh, there was this culture of uh, the safe place it was called the posto sicuro you know so uh, the the and and uh, nobody would have wanted to live it actually working in a public administration or at the bank uh, in my italian culture when i came out from university was a thing it was an aspiration so my the parents of people of my generation would have been proud of seeing someone like me coming out from a university and having a place that was uh, safely paid uh, for the rest of my of my life, and there are still a lot, you know, I'm like 52 and something. So in in theory, you know, if I was an employee, I still had uh, you know a good 15 to 20 years in front of me of work. That is still the mentality from some of uh, people of uh, of my age, and maybe you know a- at one point. Uh, the new generation comes in and the two values are completely different, right, Nella?
0: Yeah, actually, funnily enough, I'm working at the moment with um, countries of the ex-Eastern Bloc, Um, so, you know, uh, and and for them, unfortunately, the model is still what you're saying, so a, a good job is public administration, a good job is a bank, a good job is a job which has security, so It's not only a generational thing, but coming to your question, you know, what's the problem? um, There are two mainly. One is um, a friction that exists between the culture and the business. So some cultures are no longer conductive for the kind of business you're trying to do. And second one is a friction between the people and the culture. And so when you know, the, the, the people in the system have expectations that are not aligned with what the culture is, then that creates another problem. Um, dissatisfaction, you know, there's so much people that are disconnected from their work that um, go and show up, but don't really belong. Um, so these are, for me, the two that are really the, the problems, if you say, of, of where, you know, culture is engaged.
1: Betty, how this reflects in the in the in the conversations that you're having, uh, you know, every day with people that you're recruiting.
2: What a, well, a great, great question. Well, actually, it reflects on people living, on people being unhappy, on people getting sick, being depressed, being anxious, and people. Uh, talking bad about the company and giving a really bad reputation. But I think the number one thing uh, that I definitely see is that people wanted to really find another job because they're really not connecting with the vision of the company, with the culture, with the the values, the why, the purpose. But especially, I think that people don't feel in value. You know, I I mean, Uh you spend at work 8 to 10 hours a day and you do certain tasks. It can be complicated. It can be a more technical task or it can be whatever task you're doing or you're, you're you're getting paid for but the point is that when you don't see that you're valuable as a human being that you're not really being that your work doesn't mean anything so really was the point you know so so the reflection to answer your question is is all those things that i just say it's like when you're sick and you start seeing that you're having this cough and your nose is running it's the same with work when you start seeing team's Completely people leaving, people staying one month, try and two months. Um and, and they're just and when you ask these questions when you're trying to work with other people, sometimes they're even willing to compromise in the money, they're willing to go down to 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 lower salaries, but that what they're really looking for is to be happier because they understand the value of working and connecting with the company culture long run, because it's what they make them. The mental health uh, better and their their energy levels better and their happy life, you know, on the long run. So that's kind of what I see when I'm recruiting people.
1: It's funny because uh, uh, I still remember that uh, we're talking about rather a decade ago, more or less. That was the time of, uh, you know, a big part of, uh, you know, the, the culture piece on a company was the environment, right? So everyone was getting the, uh, Google offices uh, like, including Swift, actually, Mela, if you remember, you know, that was a time of the open spaces, the swap, the hot desk, the, you know, the little cupboard to put your thing uh, and, you know, work in a coffee area and something like this. And, uh, and, but that was literally one, the tip of the iceberg. And second, something that it seems really to like uh, the the typical lipstick on a pig, you know, the 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 way to on the surface, you know, change something radically, but then very often uh, stop there, right, and do not implement uh, a series of uh, other fundamental culture shifts, you know, that uh, that company that company needed, and actually, you know, starting with Betty uh, this time, how do you see companies? you know, approaching it. It, because it is, of course, it has to be, you know, the, the, the you know, something that uh, the, the executive of the company, the manager of the company wants it, of course, but also something that seems to, uh, coming like a bottom up, right? So like, a, you need to trigger, you know, the, the willingness of your employees to even care about the culture of the company. So, how do you see this? Uh, uh, how do the companies, you know, go about it simply?
2: Well, I think a lot of companies don't have a clue of what culture. I really do. Uh, and that's the reason why uh, there is a lot of people also changing jobs constantly. I think, first of all, companies need to have, I mean, company culture doesn't mean perks or bonuses or fan days at the park uh, altogether or wearing this ha- like caps or you know that's not company culture that's part of like having fun with the employees and all of it but i think what it needs to be really created it's that culture that has very clear values very clear vision and where they also have a very clear mission on what they want to do and the people they want to attract that is compatible and is aligned and sync with with the company uh, culture. So that's very important. But how this should be, it should be part of all of us. I mean, from the directors, from the VPs to the managing, like wh- like from from the the, the the managers and and most important from the employees. And I think one of the things that should be very simple, but at the same time very important, is actually creating spaces. Of trust for the teams, creating the spaces for people to, to give feedback, creating spaces where people can feel heard and understood because ultimately you can have amazing executive teams and leadership teams. But if the, the employees don't have a voice, if employees don't feel value, they they will never that things in the in a culture and that it won't be a culture, and these people is gonna be living leaving the company. So I think it has to be a teamwork from, from the board of directors and the executive team and the leadership teams, but also very much the employees and also the clients, because ultimately clients are also part of that culture. So it's creating those environments where people can be safe to talk, safe to give feedback and, and, and keep learning and constructing it all together as well, you know, because we all build in a culture with the clients, the employees and the
0: leadership team. Yeah. Um. You know, to add a couple of uh, maybe kind of specific examples, uh, since you said you wanted those awesome cases, um, it's interesting to see how, for example, startups are going about that challenge because unlike established businesses, you have there somebody who has created that It's their baby and they want to make sure that baby has a particular behavior, particular character. So often startups are very good at setting some At least having that conversation up front and setting some guiding principles as to how they want to be, not just what business they want to run. And so one example is uh, Valve, for example, the gaming company, which has set a number of rules for themselves saying, you know, we want to be this kind of company where people have a choice of where they work, what projects they work on. But then they, they went and they created their manifesto, which is a fantastic document to read to start with. But also, you know, literally um, symbols in all of their environment about how they want people to be. Um, And that means, you know, every single piece of furniture in the office has wheels. Nobody has any assigned job or team or reporting lines. So every morning when you go there, you can literally wheel yourself wherever you want and work on whatever project you want. Um, And that's described in their manifesto. And so you do have a kind of a top-down approach from that point of view. But they also make sure that when they hire people, they make make this explicit. So people who opt to work there know what they're signing up for. So you have this sort of alignment of the top down. So the principles that are set, the direction that is made, the space that is created, but everybody else that decides to go there. And then the other approach, which is interesting to see, is organizations that want to change how they are, but go about it the bottom-up way, meaning that they look and observe teams in their space of work. And they pick the ones that already exhibit the behavior they want. And they just reinforce that. So literally, you know, find the bright spots that already are in the company that are there. And today, maybe they are exceptions. They are the weirdos. They are the guys that don't do stuff like everybody else. And you just shine the light on them and somehow made it make it more interesting to behave like them. So promote that behavior. So that's the opposite way. So starting from a bottom-up, but you still have a top-down approach in terms of pushing that behavior and making sure that you point to it as something important. And that's how we want to be.
2: I would like to add a little bit as well as an example, which I actually love. I'm very much pro happiness at work. And there's a there's a company called Sappos that is, is basically the motto is delivering happiness which for me sounds very much like, okay, what does that mean? And actually, um, what that means is that they actually sell shoes like any other company, but this company was very, very successful because of the company culture and what they really wanted to do or what they really mean by delivering happiness. It's not just sending the shoe and, you know, like happy customer because they have the shoes. They go above and beyond to give the best customer service that anybody can have. So when you call Sappos. From the person that answers the phone to how you need to solve the problem, the delivery time, where they say if, if it comes late, how they deal with, how they make, try to really make sure that you're not getting the shoes. is a whole customer experience that you're living with buying things in samples. So that's, I think, that's what people really confuse is that, it, that we're talking about company, but you as an employee are a representative of that company inside the company and outside the company and if you do make those efforts above and beyond and you really connect with the company culture and you really belong to a place and if you feel that way as an employee, you will you you, you can add so much value to the company but also to the clients you know because you spread that work and spread that vibe that is generally coming from your heart because you're passionate about what you work. So that's fundamental.
1: It, it's uh, it's interesting, uh, Betty, because uh, I actually wanted to uh, to uh, like expand a little bit as a as a non uh, like a specialist, you know, in in the domain. Uh, you just talked about like uh, the culture of a company like SAPOS in in the customer experience, right, you know, or in the customer service, and I wonder, you know, when we talk about culture in a company. Is, is like everything included, you know, from, uh, you know, gender, like a diversity uh, policy up to, you know, equal opportunities, uh, up to, you know, uh, salary, like uh, uh, equality amongst employees, you know, it's, it, because as you are both, you know, consulting, you know, companies in this type of uh, missions, Is that everything under this huge umbrella? And when a company goes about uh, thinking which culture, you know, they want to to embrace, uh, do they always uh, sort of hit every single, uh, you know, every single one of these uh, different verticals? Question mark, Mela?
0: So um, they are kind of part of culture in the sense that um, everything that goes under the way we are and the way we do stuff here and the way we relate to each other basically is culture. Um, and so that means, you know, that the principles that that guide the behavior, um, that that's what governs everything. The problem often is that principles are adopted, but they don't translate into some of these things that you say, or they're not consistent across things. So we may say we are... We want to encourage diversity, but when you look at people performances or the way teams are formed, diversity never comes as a factor in combining people into a team. Um, So there, you know, you have an example of a non-existent really culture. There is an ambition to do something, but it's not the way we do things here. But anything that has to do with how information flows, how power is distributed, how decisions are made, how people relate to each other. Who has agency in the organization? All of that is culture.
1: So the thank you, because uh, you know when you, uh, I have the tendency of uh, sort of uh, conducting uh, or or you know thinking in silos. You know when when uh, when I personally think about culture in a company, and there are indeed uh, you know many factors that at the end contributes you know to that manifesto. That uh, is supposed to be like a pretty much the goal, you know, of every of every single company. Uh, guys, is uh, time now for uh, uh, a short break. Stay with us because we are coming back with uh, the hype of failure. That's the next question we are going to talk about with uh, Mela and Betty. Stay with us, uh, and uh, we go for a short break. And it's a wrap.
3: innovators are to company growth what misfits are to company survival through his life and professional career at swift and the Inno Tribe foundation and helped by several conversations with renowned innovators and leaders across industries matteo Rizzi finds predictable patterns to figure out ways to not only recognize these lateral thinkers in your organization but also to deal with them and to use their peculiar talent to help your business thrive. The tension between incremental innovation and disruptive innovation between the business as usual and what is coming next is not something any company should be afraid of. Rebels are there to transform this tension into an opportunity if you know how to manage it. This and more are covered in his new book talents and rebels dealing with corporate misfits available as an ebook or in hardcover from hoopli Editori point it and amazon
1: hey guys welcome back to breaking backs europe the culture show with the and betty welcome back And uh, I want to like start this second half of the show with a little bit of a provocative uh, question, which is actually a genuine one. I mean, I I wouldn't like know the answer, but uh, uh, I hear too much or a lot about uh, uh, this, um, uh, the hype of uh, the culture of uh, failure, you know, celebrating failure embrace failure in a company which is a lot about uh, you know uh, it's very typical for a startup of course because a startup by definition you know is a, is a pivoting uh, uh you know permanently pivoting animal you know never know if it starts you know how it will end you know where you put your money when it's series a or seed you don't know where it or or how you know they will they will survive but there are also these very large organizations who, you know, the, certainly because, uh, you know, there are fancy consultants, uh, nice uh, keynote speakers uh, that talk about failure. But then I heard, uh, um, you know, some of the... I Unfortunately, I couldn't like to put, uh, put the, the, a name of the person who say, hey, you know, too much failure is not good because sometimes failure is just a failure, right? So the the but it is true that uh, there are a lot of companies, not only Swift, by the way, for which failure is not an option has been you know for a long time their their uh, their motto. And I'm interested, you know, for you to share your experiences and whether this is a hype or if it is really something that company believes in, Betty.
0: Well, okay, so let's 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 break it down a little bit huh? because it is a hype in the sense that we have picked a symbol that represents something that incumbent companies want to have, which is be innovative. Um, and startups tend to be innovative, therefore, you know, how can you be more like them? Well, they tend to talk about failure and how failure is important, therefore let's do the same. So it's a little bit simplifying the thing. What failure is actually really representative of, which is important, is developing a learning culture. So it's not about the failure per se, it's about what you do with it. And that's where we felt, it's a little bit like the hype with Agile, right? It's not about just shortening the development cycle, it's about being adaptive to what happens in between. And if you're not being adaptive, you aren't really doing it. So same thing with the failure thing. It's about... How do you become a culture that genuinely values learning and extracting learning? And by the way, there's tons of startups that do not do that well. So it's not just incumbents. It requires a complete restructuring of an organization to say, well, after every single thing we do, we need to really look at um, what did we learn from it? And what is the value of that learning? And how do we not repeat the same failure again? Um, So if you think about it this way, actually companies that have a failure is not an option culture often have quite a lot of processes that encourage that kind of learning because they're they're doing the same thing. They're they're just expressing it as a different symbol. So the whole point is really about um, putting a value, a clear value on how much you learn from something and purposefully trying not just to prove yourself right, but prove yourself wrong because there's a lot more value in proving yourself wrong quickly than improving yourself right and reaffirming yourself all the time. So it's a little bit like you know trying to take what scientists do naturally as a the scientific process and put this into organizations because um, we are living in an environment where there's an extreme importance this ability to learn continuously because it's a very uncertain environment. Now, roll a few hundred years back where this level of uncertainty didn't exist, you probably wouldn't be putting such um, hype on failure because you didn't need it. You didn't need the same level of adaptability and learning that is built into the organization. Um, my, my biggest criticism for this sort of things is that we try to simplify something and imitate it without understanding what's really trying to do. It's a good thing that we're trying to move to more, towards more learning culture, but you know, unfortunately, we aren't quite doing that by saying failure is great.
2: Um, I absolutely love your answer, Mila, uh, and I completely. I mean, it's, it's hard to to kind of uh, don't learn if you don't fail. It's 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 a human, like, as human nature, we only learn when it, it hurts, when it's a space to learn. I don't think we can talk about startups or any corporations that have established for many years that don't have a room to learn. But I think what is more important is to constantly uh, get spaces for people to give feedback and honest feedback and honest conversations from employees with employees and the leadership teams, where you can both learn uh, from each other, from we, both uh, parties can uh, share best practices because we, as diverse people, people from different walks of life, sexualities, uh, nationalities, languages, can add so much more to the table from what we experience, what we experience with the clients, with the service. How can we impro- improvise? I think it's very important to, as, as a company, to always keep uh, not necessarily failing, but not not necessarily you have to fail to learn, but actually try new things, open spaces to, to have those conversations so you can keep improving, not only necessarily failing, but actually getting better and better and better on creating a, a better culture and a better space to work.
0: If I can add to this, uh, Betty, because I really love the, the point you made about um, the feedback as well. Um, so a way to kind of say, well, the, the good kind of behavior is, you know, stretch yourself to the point where you know where your limits are. Then you fail. And that's a clear indication you reach a limit. Once you fail, don't ask the question, who did it? Who's to blame? But ask the question, oh, how interesting. Now, what did we learn from this? So how far should we roll back? Or shall we try again and push it once more? So I think that kind of gives you the difference in, in the kind of attitude you want actually a company to to develop in order to be failing gracefully and with a lot of value in it.
1: Uh, actually, is a, is a, is a great transition transition to uh, you know what I wanted to uh, ask to talk about next, which is. Uh, of course, I don't want to know names uh, and uh, you know the uh, or, or companies or geographies. But uh, uh, you know, so far we uh, uh, we talked about uh, I don't want to say the theory, but you know what is uh, what is the result of your own experience. Let's talk now about a couple of concrete cases. You know that that you can think of uh, both uh, that uh, you know where this. Uh, uh, Cultural shift that you were told to either consult or advise uh, or uh, analyze or 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 give feedback to uh, worked and maybe one example where where it didn't and uh, and you know what I will start I will start because uh, I also have a couple of experiences you know in my in my professional life and uh, and and you know you can probably the, the doctor who I will talk about, but you know, once I tried to apply into my corporate life, uh, something that uh, uh, I was doing outside my corporate life, which was uh, from a very static conversation, a monodirectional conversation where the company had a website uh, to basically showcase uh, whatever they wanted about the products or the initiatives uh, to their clients. Uh, so move from this environment into a fully interactive uh, soft business network uh, sort of website uh, where the clients could join the company in sort of communities uh, and uh, what used to be a monodirectional dialogue could become a bidirectional dialogue. So people could give feedback, clients could give feedback. I'm talking about uh, you know like, o- almost 20 years ago so when a social network uh, applied to business uh, was not a thing where you know financial institutions uh, back then and insurance companies uh, were not at all confident about uh, you know letting the customer judge or influence the way they would develop the business so back then it was literally a not only a cultural shock, but also a technological shock, right? So, you know, uh, corporates were not used to, like, uh, not even, I'm not even talking about social media. I'm talking about simply interact uh, with content, you know, on a website. And that was a shock that, you know, worked a a little bit, uh, uh, and then didn't, uh, and it sort of disappeared. And all this, uh, and the reason why it failed is because uh, every cultural initiative uh, has to be, or has to have the right timing, right? The right uh, entropy of the system uh, to accept it or not. And sometimes you would implement uh, the the right move, uh, but on the wrong timing, uh, and then it wouldn't work. So uh, let's open up this small, uh, nameless Pandora box uh, of experiences, uh, and see what worked and what didn't. Mela, you want to give it a shot first?
0: Um, I was thinking of um, uh, the timing. So there's also, you know, not just the, the timing problem, but there's also, there's some cultures that actually are very happy the way they are. So if you try to inject something foreign into them, it just, you know, they only develop antibodies to it. So that's also that. So some cultural changes simply aren't, right for the culture that is there and the people that are there. Um, But I was thinking more of some of the success stories that have more interesting ways of the way they've been done. So for example, so it's a financial institution, quite a big institution with a lot of um, traditional type of thinking, but a few innovative people on the top and as well in their HR um, departments and one of the interesting things they they did is they they thought actually very carefully about if you want to change you know an eight thousand people or ten thousand people organization um, how much of the actual people do you need to change as well um, and so they did a little bit of an assessment to figure out to what extent there was a friction between the expectations that people had in their system versus how they wanted to change their system. And they discovered that the majority of the people they had, especially the people who were in power positions, fitted very well with the old culture. They were perfect. They actually were, you know, that was their choice. They really liked it. They had made it the way that it worked for them. Um, There were a few people that were in positions not of power, but spread around the organization, a few, not many, about, you know, maybe 10%, that could be groomed to be put into power positions. So they had the potential, um, they were just not in the right places in the organization, and they had the right mindset. So they had a mindset that was aligned with the transition they were trying to make. So, what they did is they consistently started promoting these people, literally pushing them up in the organization and placing them in positions of power where they started being the leaders that were in charge of recruiting, that were in charge of rewarding, that were in charge of feedback. And of course, these people were making their own practices according to their own expectations. And they were a model to the the change they were trying to do. They also started hiring new people explicitly. So literally trying to bring in new blood that was aligned with the new model they wanted to have to start overwhelming the system with new people. And what they discovered is it doesn't take that much. It takes about 15% of that new type of blood to be present if it is placed in strategic places to start topple the system. So really to do a domino effect over it and start promoting a new culture. Now, something like this requires extreme orchestration. It requires a lot of thinking. It, it requires a lot of like social engineering. Sounds casual,
1: but it is. And it requires right? a
0: lot of support from the top because it's a very very disruptive process to the people who are established and have power. But yeah, this is one of the interesting, socially well designed um, changes that I've seen. That is quite, you know, amazing.
2: I will give an example that actually I, I love Simon Sinek, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, he is one of uh, the people I really follow. I lo- love following his work and leadership. And he was giving this example, very simple example, but actually touched my heart because I, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big corporation, a big name. It can just happen in, in the small places where you create that culture. I mean, I'm, the example I'm giving, it's uh, the Four Seasons. And he actually talks in one of his videos about this example, precisely. He was actually traveling in America and he was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel. And he, this barista was serving his coffee and he asked him how he was, uh, and, and and served the, the best coffee. And he actually put a lot of love into making that coffee and serve it pre- perfectly well. And, and that interaction and that making Simon feel that good. And so Simon was very surprised because he was like, Oh my God, this guy is making this coffee for me. And then he asked the question, why makes, you know, why makes you feel so a bit this morning? And, and the answer of this person who was making the coffee, this very star person said, because I'm working at the Four Seasons. And in the Four Seasons, we care about our customers. And and I love this example because it doesn't necessarily have bigger training uh, programs, but making few people value. That same person then told Simon Sinek that he has another job where he could not do the same because they didn't allow him to talk to customers. They didn't allow him to serve the coffee a certain way. They didn't allow him to really put the extra customer service part. And obviously you can see the difference between two, like th- the same person and how that person behaves in one place and the other place. And and the, the reason is how they feel as a human beings as well. They feel value, they feel listened, they feel like they can also add value to, to like they, they, they feel that they belong to something bigger than a job and that's the answer. And I love this example because it's a very simple task in theory, to make a good coffee, but the most important is not the coffee. It's how you make people feel when you deliver a service. How you how that that service uh, comes across. How you you come. You come with a smile, with an attitude, and it, it's not just about you, but it's how you feel within that company. So that's massive, and that's what I wanted to share. This example.
1: So the I was thinking that you know what. What could be the drive or what could have been or what are the drivers, you know, that are uh, making this uh, need for uh, a culture structure or for a better culture structure in a company are. And uh, uh, when you think of the money that uh, VCs, uh, you know, uh, did put into the market in the past decade, you know it grown like a two, three, tenfold, you know, over the years. There has never been uh, more venture capital money into companies uh, uh, like last year, right? Uh, certainly financial services, but I'm pretty sure it is, it is, globally, it is globally true. Which means that uh, by definition, this money goes into startups. And uh, so more and more young companies are being funded to develop a business. And most of these companies are either acquired by large companies or they are brought to interact with the much larger companies because they are either their suppliers or their clients or you name it. So, this, like uh, all the new uh, um, uh, need, sorry, this need for uh, coexisting, you know, for old habits and new habits for big companies and more com- small companies. You know, we are in, you know, we've grown up in financial services. Uh, and typically, this is where, you know, th- that sort of uh, culture cl- culture uh, clash was bigger, right? So the, 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 the bank uh, collaborating with the young uh, payment startups, uh, like uh, 70,000 people, versus 20, you know? So this seems like one of the biggest uh, drivers, right? For this uh, need of adapting, you know, the, 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 the culture, what are the drivers? And would you agree with me that that is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why, uh, you know, it it was almost a, a Forced activities, you know, because uh, many of these banks' uh, employees, uh, they never talk to an entrepreneur. They don't know how an entrepreneur, you know, thinks. And, uh, you know, if a bank is obliged to, like, uh, not obliged, but uh, if there is a compelling reason, uh, otherwise they would die to collaborate with a startup, that culture adjustment uh, needs to happen. That's clearly one driver. What else, Mela?
0: I'll answer with a very simple quote, you know, that is uh, well used in this space. Culture is strategy for breakfast. So one of the biggest drivers is just culture isn't fit for business anymore. Um, If you have an organization that is supposed to be Moving fast and using data and every single decision there needs to be consulted with 15,000 people. It needs to be signed. It needs to be written in a a document, reviewed, formally approved and signed physically by I don't know whom. Um, How do you do that? If information is not accessible to anyone except a few people in the organization, there's absolutely no way this organization can achieve their goals. And compete with people who are not doing that, but are much better at distributing stuff, at using information, at uh, uh, you know having distributed decision making and all the rest of it. So I think there's definitely a huge um, driver, which is literally strategic driver. And in the culture space, often we talk about not culture as being good or bad, but being fit for purpose. And so many, many organizations do not have a functional culture, meaning fit for the purpose of their strategic goals. And I see actually more and more transformation programs being driven exactly from this strategic objective of figuring out what culture is fit for purpose and how to create that um, environment where you can transition and recognize that this is going to be a continuous move. So it's not like you're going to do it once and you're going to fit it and now it's going to be fixed forever. Uh, you need to keep changing it because it's likely your strategic goals are going to keep changing. So definitely, I would see that as one of the big drivers.
1: Uh, Becky, when you when you you recruit, today you recruit for uh, like a very large uh, financial institutions, right? So you you know in the in the curriculum of people that you that you see, you know how much do you value? you know, the experience for the people that are going to work in the bank, even if it's in investment banking, uh, uh, is that a value added? The fact that these guys, uh, you know, used to work for much smaller organizations or, you know, they understand how like a startup work, for example, is that a plus or a minus when you look at their CV?
2: Uh, for me, it's uh, I don't I don't really judge on that. I think I, I judge more on the skill set. I think that if you work uh, in a smaller organization or in a competi in a competitor, which is a big corporate, I work for an investment bank right now. So I think it's more the skill set and what you're looking for. And I think those questions have to be established at the beginning of the conversation when you're trying to attract talent. What is your motivation? Do you want to be part of this big investment bank. And what is the reason behind? It's not just the money, but actually, you know that this is a different type of culture. Because as you said, Mela, before, some cultures are established. And if you work for a bank, you probably have to wear certain uh, certain clothes and you have to uh, speak certain language. And you probably know can come with trainers and, 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 and hoodies. So if you actually know this information and you know that this is also the company culture, then you have to be also aligned. But answering to your question, I think the most important for me as a talent recruiter is to understand that the the importance of anybody is what they can bring to the table. And if that can bring to the table the skill set that we're looking for, the personality, the alignment with the with the personality and 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 what we're looking for in the team. And it fits that team work as well, and the team culture. I think that's what I'm looking for, um, regardless of where they are coming from.
1: Ladies, thank you very much for, uh, for your insight, For your insights, we are uh, coming to the end of this uh, of this show. Uh, for me, it was uh, a, 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 like a, a delightful conversation on a topic that uh, you know. I don't think we. It, it is a lot. Uh, talked about uh, in uh, like a closed loop environments but is not yet you know a, a a a topic that is you know for the masses i want to say and very often uh, you know masses are you know either victims or like uh, users or beneficiaries you know of a culture that is very often uh, independent you know from their from their thinking uh, or uh, or maybe simply imposed, you know, in, a, in in a good or in a wrong way from uh, from the company. Thank you very much for being part of Breaking Banks Europe, Mela and Betty. How can people reach you, Mela?
0: LinkedIn probably the easiest. Um, would there be a possibility to put links to LinkedIn profiles? Yes, that's the easiest way to reach you. Yeah,
1: of course, Betty.
2: For me, the same LinkedIn, Betty and Cinales, I'll
1: be there. Great. Thank you very much once again. And uh, stay tuned on Breaking Banks Europe.
0: Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.